tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Do you know what your problem is? Well, we do. that you should have been listening to all this time, but you have neglected them. We'll help you see the air of your ways and fill your life with joy once you discover these albums. This is Vinyl Tap. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced its long play, 33 and a third RPM microgroove record. The next year, RCA Victor introduced the 7-inch 45 RPM record. This was the beginning of the conflict between a full album and a stack of hits. Downloadable music has only increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This is Vinyl Tap makes the case for taking a deep dive into the satisfaction of listening to the whole album. Tonight, we're going to share with you some picks of our own. We call these neglected favorites, great albums that for some reason never sold the number of albums they should have. So get your pad and pencil, because you're going to want to write these down so you can order them immediately, or at least... Listen to them online, but make sure you listen to the whole album. Tony, you're up first. What do you have for us? I think the first thing I'll talk about is uh, is an album that was released 17 years um, after the last album from this band was released, and that's God Bless the Go-Go's by the Go-Go's. So in 2001, they released this album. Uh, it has the uh, privilege of being the very last thing I ever bought at the Tower Records on the drag, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but um, it it's fantastic. And I don't know, you know, it got a lot of semi-flack in the press for when people reviewed it as not living up to to the old days. Um, or, But I don't get that because I actually think consistently – or consistency wise, it's actually the best thing the Go Go's have ever done. It's it's significantly more aggressive than than their their first three albums. Um, the songwriting on it is stellar. It's not you know it's not deep stuff. It's pop music, but it's it's more on the power end of power of pop than it is kind of their. I mean, they always had that in them, but it it really it 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 does a better job at that. Um, I don't know if this is a plus or a minus, but Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day co-wrote one of the songs on it. So. 
released as a single. It's a great song. I, I always I, this was a huge, huge band in the '80s. A lot of people, if you were to ask, especially you know, uh, my wife and and her friends, if you were to ask him what their soundtrack of the '80s was, this this band would be part of it. Um, for them to to put something this good out 17 years after their last album was just really, I think, a remarkable thing. I, there's not a stinker on this album at all, I don't think. And it starts off strong from La La Land, just going all the way through. It, I think it's fantastic, and I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't run out immediately and buy it. Tony, um, got a number of questions for you on this. Um, number one. I think everybody admires you for coming out and taking a stand for a band like the Go-Go's, obviously not caring what other people think. And I think <laughs> everybody I, admires that. Number I proudly two, wear uh, my Go-Go's fandom. <laughs> number two, uh, almost half, excuse me, almost three fourths of the people that listen to this podcast don't live in Austin. Could you tell us what the drag is? The drag is the stretch of Guadalupe um, that runs in front of the University of Texas. Um, there used to be a Tower Records on there. It's uh, Sound Exchange, which is also a really great record store, was on there. That's where the Daniel Johnston, uh, Jeremiah the Bullfrog mural was, or is, I guess, still. But it's now a Thai place, I think, or something. Um, yeah. But it was, at one point, you know, a bunch of little kind of odd little local places and then slowly became, you know, taken over by more and more uh chain places uh, the hole in the wall great little music venues on the drag um but it's it yeah it was just this little stretch of guadalupe in, in austin uh north of the capital across the street from the the far west side of ut campus um it was a wonderful place when we were growing up i can remember seeing all the armadillo world headquarters handbills and uh yeah. the 13th floor elevators had stuff all over that and now it's completely it had, turned into corporate yeah. america and no one cares corporate. about it anymore it also had the greatest t-shirt uh store i've ever seen in my life and i have I, what was it all the ritz i think was the name of the place i told you about my best friend's dad who had all the records well the reason he had all those records is he had a table on the drag where he was selling and buying used records and uh, Every Saturday, he'd set his table up, and his wife would sell jewelry, and uh, they'd give me and my buddy five bucks to run up and down the drag all Saturday. My buddy would go play pinball and win about thirty games and sell them to some college student, and we could go <laughs> do, we could go eat lunch. It was pretty fun. Anyway, we're not supposed to be talking about all that. My second question, uh, t Tony, is: uh, Did your wife make you do this? <laughs> absolutely not i bought this album i bought this album on my own although i did i will say i bought it for her um my young or my oldest daughter at the time was getting into music and she naturally i mean i i brainwashed her into liking a bunch of stuff beatles ramones stuff like that but as she started getting a little older she started gravitating towards women singers and women bands and so blondie was a big huge blondie fan and she loved the Go-Go's. And this album came out right at that time where she was trying to get into it. So I bought it for both of them and then never gave it to either one of them because I loved it so much. Well, that's good. I'm glad we finally have talked about a woman band here. I've been complaining behind the scenes with these two guys that we've been <laughs> ignoring women, but they wouldn't have any of it. There's a sort of uh, Beatles, Rolling Stones uh, uh, debate between the Bangles and the Go-Go's. And I've always been firmly ensconced in the Go-Go's camp. They didn't need Prince to write them any hit songs. They could do it on their own. 
So they were a very self-contained band. They did not have many outside players. If you hear that those first albums of theirs, that's all them. Almost yeah. everything that's been played is them. I and find it highly a, offensive that you're acting shocked that women could play their own instruments. <laughs> and there's a there's a local Austin connection. Uh, Kathy Valentine is in the Go Go's, and right. she's she's an Austinite. Okay, Jam. That's uh, if you can quit uh, patronizing women long enough. <laughs> let's hear your album. All right. So the first album I'm going to recommend is by a band that has been in easily one of my favorites since uh, I discovered them in high school. My neglected album is by a band called The Replacements that many people probably know about. Um, they have an album called Let It Be. It's released in 1984. There is really not a weak track on this album. It starts off with a fantastic song called I Will Dare. It goes into just some screaming sort of punk stuff. The playing is sloppy, but still first rate. Um, there's songs about just unusual things like uh, uh, one of the band members, Tommy Stinson, Got his tonsils out. Naturally, they wrote a song about Tommy getting his tonsils out. Uh, the chorus goes, rip, rip. Tommy gets his tonsils out. There's songs about androgyny. There's a Kiss cover. And then there's one of the all-time best rock and roll songs I think ever written called Unsatisfied. Angst at its greatest. There is no better song title for the music that is and the lyrics that are being poured forth in this song. So, so Doug, I have a question. Yes. Can can a band can a band be overrated and underrated at the same time? Because that's the way I feel about the replacements. I feel like that's the most overrated band, maybe in the history of of alternative rock. But I also feel like they're extremely underrated as well. I don't know the answer to that. And as another thing, I don't know is who they replaced. <laughs> I uh, I'll be honest. I never I've never quite gotten this band. I want to. Boy, do I want to. I mean, everyone I everyone I know tells me I should I should listen to replacements. And this album is a good album, but I just there's just something about it that I don't quite get. I tell you, I, I think my problem with this album is I was too old when I heard it for the first time. Uh, yeah. This is a lot of poking people yeah. in the eye, and uh, yeah. it's it's. It's powerful music. It's uh, expressing yeah. a lot of feelings I don't have anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I didn't uh, listen to I it. I can tell it's great. <laughs> 
this is 19, this is Rock Pile, which is actually uh, Nick Lowell and Dave Edmonds. Um, and this this album came out in 1980. I was a I guess I was a sophomore in high school, and the local radio station played it relentlessly, and it played a bunch of the tunes on there. This is an album full of pop tunes and. There's originals and there's covers, and all the covers are are just done in a in a great fashion. And I had uh, let this one sit too long in getting ready for this podcast. I listened to it again and again and again, and I thought, what an idiot, man! This is fun music. The album's called Second of Pleasure. It's Rockpile. Uh, they didn't do another album. Uh, Rockpile played on uh, some of Nick Lowe's albums. But uh, this is just a fantastic, fun pop record. Uh, if you're having a party, it's a good one to put on. <laughs> okay, I, I, don't Tony, know, I don't know how... I was just going to say, I don't know how this band does what they do. I mean, there's, you know, there's rockabilly stuff on here. There's straightforward pop stuff on here and it doesn't miss a beat. It just, the whole album just kind of, it just fits, you know, I don't know how it you does. do that. And, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what we were talking about with the replacements where, um, this kind of thing that the replacements do, I would have dug that a lot more in my teenage college years than I would rock pile but now that I'm an old fart I want to hear this yeah. nice fun music and it really is it's it I think everybody will like it but I think if you're yeah. an old guy that wants to hear some rock and roll like in the old days rock pile is hard to beat yeah it's a great album it's got these the very good use of the six string guitar or six string bass yeah, <laughs> he's a master of the six string bass. Well, he's a great producer. I, I, Nick Lowe's yeah. produced some great records. Elvis Costello's records. Um, he's yeah, he just knows he knows what he's trying the the effect he's trying to get, and he he yeah. takes some of these old songs and just makes them fun. It like, like I said, it's something you want to play at a party. All right, exactly. Tony, number two. Uh, the opposite of something you'd want to play at a party. <laughs> uh, my second album is uh, Nursery Crime by Genesis, which uh, was their second sort of real album. They had released an album of sort of Bee Gees type songs uh, in the late 60s when they were just out of high school. I mean, I think Gabriel, Peter Gabriel might have been 18, maybe 17 when they recorded that stuff. Um Anyway, this was their second album. It's the first one with Phil Collins and Steve Hackett on it. Um, and uh, and it really is kind of the start of that era of Genesis. That that it, it, it's You can't really talk about this band without talking about the fact that they're one of the progressive slash art rock bands that for some reason, hip people who hate this music, give them a pass. Yeah. 
Crimson's and King Crimson's another one of those bands that people who hate progressive rock give a pass to. And a lot of people do the same thing for Gentle Giant. I don't know why, but this album uh, was the beginning of that era. And it's fan. It's fantastic. It's really prog at its finest. Um, it's orchestral. It's uh, there's some songs on it that are beautiful. I mean, we haven't said this uh, this episode yet, but there's some songs that make me almost want to cry. On them. That's JM's uh, territory you're intruding on. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, Phil Collins sings lead on the second song on the album for Absent Friends, and he sounds great. Wonder if they're late for church and it's cold. So they fasten their coats and cross their grass. I mean, but you realize when you listen to this, what a great drummer he was. It's a shame he didn't oh, yeah. stay, behind, stay behind the kit. Um, I know. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's got a song about uh, a, a giant weed taking over the human race. It's got a song about uh, a humorous song, oddly enough, about a guy contemplating jumping off of a off of a building uh, called Harold the Barrel. And then the 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 best the just the the cream of the crop is the musical box, which is essentially a ten minute song about the ghost of a young kid returning. I mean, returning as the as a ghost of an old man trying to seduce the woman who knocked his head off during a croquet game. just a whole bunch of songs written on that thing i think so um but steve hackett's playing on it is incredible he's got this tone yeah. on his guitar that i just i don't know how he does it it's it's crunchy and uh yeah and it's and it sounds unlike anything else on there this this was this band really kind of spreading their wings and finding themselves it's not well it's not as well known or well received as as the lamb lies down on broadway or selling you by the pound um, but if you really want to know where that kind of era of Genesis started, this this is the place to to hit. And uh, and it, you know, and, and it, if you don't like Prague, don't give up on this album because this is, like I said, this is the kind of the one type of sound that people who don't typically like that busyness can get into this band. Yeah. In particular, this era. I think the thing that I like about this, which drives me crazy about most prog rock is there's no jarring moments like hey we're gonna have this uh moment of incredible arpeggios and we're gonna change the time signature just because we can nothing like that on this album the other yeah. thing i really like about this album you mentioned the music box the musical box which is a fine fine song i'm a sucker for 12 string electric guitars yeah and they are all over that song and it's just and steve hackett is is i think mike rutherford actually plays some of it too and it does they, enough, they, yeah yeah tony banks the keyboardist actually plays some they do so, you know it's funny I, yeah. do you guys remember a band called gtr in the 80s i do yeah steve hackett yeah, and steve howe yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, i think uh, steve yeah. howe took over that a little too much 
Well, my point is, uh, I think, you know, it's unfortunate that Steve Hackett had to be in that. I think he's a really underrated guy, and I think he doesn't get his due. But uh, he brought yeah. so much depth to this band when he joined it. And uh, I, I'm curious to see what see what Doug thinks about this album. I hate this uh, kind of music, and um, I like this album a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I liked it because it was playing with my brain while I was listening to it, and it was kind of itching a spot in my brain. Uh, but it reminded me with my trouble with Genesis that this is something that's kind of personal, and it also something that's driven me crazy for years is I loved Peter Gabriel's voice. It's one of my favorite voices in all of rock and roll. And I don't like uh, Phil Collins' voice at all. I don't even like looking at Phil Collins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's, the, here's my confession. Sometimes when I'm listening to Genesis, I can't tell who's singing. And well, that really bothers me. Well, you know what's funny about that, Doug? When Gabriel left after Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, they they auditioned singer after singer after singer. Not, I don't know why they didn't just turn around and point to the guy at the drums because he'd been singing songs with them yeah. forever, and he it's sounds good. enough yeah. like Peter Gabriel. He I mean, he's nowhere near as good. Like Peter Gabriel, but um, but but um, yeah, it's kind of how funny. can I how can I love Peter Gabriel's voice and not like? Bill I know Collins I'm the same voice. way. And, I think it's then, I think it's because of Phil who Phil Collins is. Maybe it's because he did all that stuff later. But um, no, this is this is a good record. And um, if you're looking for some catchy tunes, if you're looking for you can't hurry love, you better run. <laughs> but well, if you're looking just, for something interesting, uh, you can't be. Uh, this is good. This is good stuff. Out. And it makes so, me want to go deeper into Genesis than I've ever wanted to before. Yeah, it's not as good as the li, li, uh, Lion Lies Down Lion, on Broadway. Lies down. Yeah, Lamb um, Lies Down on Broadway. Yeah, I, I, I think the musical box is probably as good as anything on that. I'll give you that. I will give and, you that. That's and, and a I will, fine, fine song. I will say this about something JM said that I think probably hits the nail on why people like this band who don't like this music is their instrumentation isn't isn't for the purpose of being com it's not complicated for the purpose of being complicated it it right. serves the music you know they're not trying to show stuff they're not throwing knives at the keyboard like you know a la emerson or something like that um <laughs> so yeah, all right yeah. well thank you for bringing that one that's i think that's going to be different than anything else we talk about tonight so <laughs> I, I would like to warn anyone who is into the uh pop genesis of peter gabriel in the 80s uh you're not gonna like that album so don't don't get mad at us if you buy it and listen to all this weird stuff and then hate it all right Jam, like. you got a number two for us i got a number two all right so this is an album that did not leave my cd player in my car for probably six months it is hamper van beethoven's our beloved revolutionary sweetheart it is one of the most sonically interesting 
albums I've ever heard. I was blown away by it, not just by the songs, but just by the instrumentation. Uh, they do a great job of keeping the same feel going through every song, even though the songs are totally different. They do a cover of O oh Death. greatest you cannot believe that <laughs> that this is a the same way that the Lubin brothers or the Stanley brothers did it uh it's it's a fantastic version of the song they're to me their best song ever that they've written is on this album called she divines water It is another very complex song. It changes time signatures. It's just a, uh, and, it, and it still sounds very poppy. And it's got violins, it's got uh, mandolins, it's got calliope sounding keyboards, it's got some the monster bass playing. Um, and the drums are again are incredible. And the guitar part, there's the guitar player is a guy by the name of uh, Greg Leischer. He does not play a chord the whole time. All he does is just do these incredible fills throughout every song, and they sound great. Um, for those of you who are wondering, you know, the, after this band, uh, David Lowry went on to form Cracker, which kind of became a much, I'm guessing he's making a lot more money off of the Cracker residuals than he has off of Camper Van Beethoven. But still, Camper Van Beethoven is just a, a phenomenal band. And if you want to get a great introduction to them, this is the album to, to look at. Yeah, I... Uh... I agree, Jam. I think this is a fantastic album. And when we were growing up, you heard this term alternative rock all the time. What the hell did that mean? It meant, oh, well, it was different than mainstream. But this really is, I think, deserving of that label. You know, we were talking at the in the last podcast about bands that were, were really uh, talented musicians kind of playing music in a way that you wouldn't expect. And I feel that way about this band and this album in particular. It's uh, it's really unusual. The musicianship on it is top notch. It's funny the the eye of uh, eye of Fatima Part One feels kind of velvet undergroundy to me. If that yeah, makes any yeah. sense, yeah, yeah, um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic album. I I like this band a lot, and uh, I I feel like uh, when they split, uh, the the unique kind of unusual guys went over to Monks of Doom and. And then the rest yeah. of them went and did the more mainstream cracker stuff. But yeah, I, I agree. This is a, it's going to be tough to find this album, but I think if you can find it, it's worth seeking out. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's back to me now. And uh, once again, one of those patterns you didn't plan on has appeared. This album is also from uh, 1980, just like rock pile. <laughs> and uh, there's a connection to Stiff Records, just like Rockpile. 
This album is uh, Any Trouble. Where are all the nice girls? And uh, if you like Joe Jackson or Elvis Costello, I think it's hard to believe you wouldn't like this album. Uh, I think I think this band could have been Elvis Costello if the job of Elvis Costello was not already occupied by Elvis <laughs> Costello. It's it's very similar. It's it's more poppy. It's uh, not as dark. This this album has a song on it called um, Second Choice. Yep. And in my mind, it is the most obvious hit in the world that never became a hit. And uh, if, if I were a promoter for a record company, I would study how do you have a, a song this attractive that does not become a hit and then just do the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of this whole album's filled with a lot of energy and a lot of good songs. Uh, there is a, a cover of Bruce Springsteen's Growing Up, which is very different than Bruce Springsteen's version of Growing Up, but it is it's a lot of fun. And uh, I think my favorite song on this album is playing Bogart, which is a very energetic song. There's two versions of it. One on this album, which is a high energy, fast song. And then there's a slow version which is also good, but not nearly as entertaining as this one. Uh, the, the fact that any trouble just disappeared into obscurity is inexplicable to me. I, yeah. I don't think anybody could listen to this record and not enjoy it. So I, I have a question about this album, and, and it's a great album. But why in the world did, does it seem that any band that came out at this time period that was remotely similar to Elvis Costello got just just <laughs> ripped apart in the press? I don't understand that. Why is that a bad thing? I might blame Ira Robbins from the Trouser Press. He think, he seems to be the biggest culprit of saying that if you sound like Elvis Costello, you don't deserve any accolades. But uh, I don't get that. This uh, This album's fantastic. It should have been huge. Do you guys yeah. know why it's such a bad thing to be sound to sound like, you know, great Elvis Costello music? I don't understand that. And it seems to be that if if any band that came came out that was uh, and I don't want to say the word derivative because I don't think they are derivative, but that was, you know, remotely similar to Elvis Costello, the, the music press for some reason hated them. And I don't get that. Yeah, well, most of most of that music writing is about proving how sophisticated you are rather than really evaluating music. Um, but James this album is so great energy in this album. It is, there's a lot of energy and it's also happy energy. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, you can't you can't you can't be in a bad mood and listen to this this album. <laughs> I agree. You come out if, if you're in a bad mood, you're going to come out in a good mood. And yeah, you're going to come out if you ever wanted to do a seven minute mile, you're going to hit a seven minute mile. Jeez. Well, that that day's behind <laughs> me. You could play this album five times at once, and I won't get to seven minutes. <laughs> All right, so that's uh, that's six albums for you to check out between now and the new year. That's it for tonight's show. Next week, we're going to be considering a classic album again by one of the more underrated bands from the 60s, The Zombies, and their classic album, Odyssey and Oracle. Remember, we're on Facebook. Please leave a comment there. Look us up on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. We're also on Twitter. This is Vinyl Tap at Tapping Vinyl. We have an email address, tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Again, leave us a note. Tell us what albums you'd like for us to take a look at. Or you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Leave us a note. Tell us what albums you'd like for us to uh, take a look at. So for our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you that if sugar was as sweet as you, honey, sugar just would not be bought. <laughs>